Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And of course, if this is your first time listening or you just recently started listening to us, thank you so much for putting us on and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And also leave us a review if you can. It really all does help. We have a woman on today who is just about to celebrate her 60th birthday and she is full of enthusiasm about this next part of her life. In fact, she says she feels stronger than she's ever done. I do a regime of weights every second day for an hour and 15 minutes where I lift 20 kilos and I've strengthened my body. For four years, I've had no issue with my back. I now can sleep. I couldn't sleep. Mary. I couldn't move. Like So I have, I have built my body and I am stronger and fitter now going into my 60th birthday, which I hate, than I was in my 20s. But before you hear from that remarkable woman, Mary McKenna of Tour America and the Travel Suite, we wanted to support another brilliant young woman with a show in the Dublin Fringe. The title of her show really caught her eye. It's called The Coil's Lament and it's a one-woman production in Bewley's Theatre by Shiva Hennessy. And it's right up her alley is all I can say. I began by asking Shiva to tell us all about the themes in her new show. Well, okay. so the name of the show was taken from a song I wrote that has the same title, um, The Coil's Lament. It's a song I wrote from the perspective of my own contraceptive coil. Um, I was in bed, you know, for a week with a blocked nose and my mind was wandering. I got to thinking if my coil could speak. what? Yes, what it would say. (laughs) And I found that it was actually a very, a very uh, frustrated and fed up coil from years of inaction. I've been sending no work its way, I must admit. Um, I'm in my celibate era. As Taylor Swift might say, if she was in her celebrity era. And um, yeah, the coil's been, I, I don't know why, I, I got a coil a couple of years ago. I, maybe I thought it would uh, st- start things off, you know, bring the mountain to Mohammed. <laughs> maybe I thought the sex would follow, but it hasn't. Um, and uh, sometimes I just imagine what's it doing? What's it doing in there? How's it passing the time? You Absolutely. Know? Um, but from this celibate era has come this musical comedy. What would you describe it as? Because it's not a play, but it's got yeah. a lot of different elements. Um, it's, it's, I suppose it's a stand-up show. It's a comedy cabaret, I suppose. I'm a musician as well as a comedian. I've also got a background in acting. So I think that all of those things uh, come together in this show. It's multidisciplinary, which yes. doesn't roll off the tongue. But. Well, we had some young people on who um, were doing a show called In Heat, which is yes, on in the first moment. That, yeah. And they were saying about the, the process of trying to get your show on in the Fringe. It's, it's quite a thing. You have to apply, you have to do all that. Was that hard? Oh, yeah, How it was. I've it? applied before and uh, not gotten in. So I was absolutely delighted to get in this year. It is a very, quite a competitive application process as it's a curated festival. I also went over to Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. So it all came at the same time, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, so I, I did manage to develop the show a lot in Edinburgh. I did 23 shows in a row. Um, so... 
you know, invaluable to have all that stage time. Um, totally chaotic, though. And now I get home to Dublin and I'm like, oh, God, I mean, I <laughs> I, I almost forgot about it, <laughs> which um, is crazy because I've wanted to do Dublin Fringe for so long. So I'm really excited. I do think it'll actually probably be even a better experience than Edinburgh. Now, I do have to mention your earrings because they're glinting at me there in the shape of IUDs. They were designed by someone especially for you. Tell us yeah, about Yeah, they them. were designed by a friend of mine, Tanaz. She is an amazing jewellery designer. Um, her Instagram uh, handle is Clay Up Crafts. She designs loads of earrings, but also like candle holders and um, different household ornaments. She really is so creative. So she designed a special range of coil earrings that I <laughs> modelled around Edinburgh um, over the course of the summer. Um, yeah, so now, definitely check up. The show is not just about coils, right? So you're going to sing us a song from it and this is kind of, because it's about all sorts of things. What's the song about? Yeah, you're going to I mean, to be honest, the coil is the most, uh, probably the funniest hook um, <laughs> and I maybe I should have done that song today. But um the whole show, thankfully, is not written from the perspective of a coil. I think that would get a bit tiresome. Um, <laughs> so really, the show is kind of, it's kind of about myself. It's about the way, it's about living in a fantasy. It's about fantasizing, making up boyfriends in lieu of real ones. It's about uh, coping with inferiority complexes by, you know, inventing, you know, amazing fantasies of pop stardom. I'm still holding out to be a teen pop sensation. I think yeah. you should hold out yeah, for that. Yeah. I never give up that dream. I, I just, I can't believe that I'm not more famous than I am. <laughs> I'm really struggling um, with that. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> well, so I'm kind of coming to terms with that in the show as well, that I'm where I'm at and that I'm unexpectedly unfamous. There is another song on the show called Unexpectedly Unfamous. I love it. Because I don't think anyone could have expected that I would be unfamous. No, no. absolutely. Well, hopefully mm. being on the women's podcast will make you slightly, even a tiny bit more famous, yeah. which is yeah. all going to add to your, your dream. So you have the small coils hanging out of your ears, but you also have a life-size coil in the show? Yes, I do. My fantastic producer, Tiernan Noonan, has spent the last few months hyper-fixating on creating a large, like, giant replica of my own contraceptive coil that I can get into and wear on stage. Now, <laughs> I only do it for a small part of the show. Some people think I, I'm wearing it for the whole thing. That would be just very hot and uncomfortable. Um, but this, I, I mean, this producer, he has just been, he's very gifted. Uh, he's very gifted with his hands. I will say that. And this costume is just fantastic. So if you want to see somebody wearing a huge, giant coil, and I'm actually going to walk around Grafton Street with it on today. I'm getting a bit desperate now, Roshan, I'll be honest. I think you have just <laughs> sold your show for so many people. I would be very surprised if you don't sell out just on that basis alone. Yeah. So well, well done. I better. I'll be humiliating myself in the next few days in public. So it better pay off in ticket prices. And thanks, Tig, as well. Thanks, Tiernan. So get up there and sing us the song okay, now. This is not about fame. This is about... Yeah. This is about when a guy breaks up with you. And I've had some of my... I'm so egotistical that... <laughs> When a guy breaks up with me and tells me I'm amazing and it's not me, it's him, I believe him. I'm like, yeah, he really did find me so amazing that he kind of had to move to the other side of the world. <laughs> Isn't that how it happens? <laughs> you know, oh, guys dear. will fully be in love with you and like change their number, block you and tell all their friends not to engage with you if they see you in the street. And I, for one, have had some of the most flattering experiences when I've been broken up with. Okay, and that's yeah. what this is about. That's it's what called... this song is about. It's called It's Not Love. It's Not Love. Well, go for it. When we first met, you said that I was the most magical girl that you had ever met. You told me Shiva, 
These three months we spent together I never will forget I was so flattered I forgot to ask you How come if I was really that great Why you were making such a speedy escape I just swooned, he thinks I'm amazing I smiled as I watched you leaving No, it's not love But it's close enough For a girl who paints all the things That she cannot see No, it's not love But it's close Daytime dream Some of my greatest moments Have been with men Who are breaking up with me They tell me things like Shiva, the guy who gets you Will be so lucky We've all heard the lines But I read in between them like Every time And I end up feeling sorry for him That he can't be with me when he so clearly wants to be And then I go home And write a 600-word think piece on patriarchy And how it stops men from accessing their feelings No, it's not love But it's close All the things that she cannot see No, it's not love But it's close enough for a girl like me How pretty this movie scene I have this therapist who says annoying things like Shiva, you say he's obsessed with you But wouldn't you like someone who's there Who shows that they care I said, no, those guys are usually weird and boring She said, I think we should explore that more And I said, no, no thanks You're always focusing on the wrong things, Geraldine Can't we just think about the way he looked at me at that party? It's not love, but it's close enough for a girl who paints all the things that she's never seen. So it's not love, but it's close enough for a girl like me. How pretty this daytime dream. I just, I mean, I'm very moved, very amused, all the feelings and, you you know, I can't wait till you're a big pop sensation because I think you will be. So tell everyone where they can go and see it and when. The Coil's Lament uh, will be on at Beauty's Cafe Theatre next week 
preview is Wednesday the 20th of September and it finishes up on Saturday the 23rd of September. So there'll be lots of jokes, lots of laughs, lots of tears and some great music. And I'm so grateful that I have my cousin Natalie Nihasaja playing piano with me because she just elevates it so, so much. So I can't wait. Well, I can't wait together. either. Thank and you so I'm going much. to be there with bells on and I'm sure loads of people listening will as well. Sell out. I feel it in my bones. Oh my God. Yes. If Roshan <laughs> Ingle says that, if Roshan Ingle's coming... <laughs> I basically think I'm famous now. <laughs> that was Shiva Hannessy there. Such a talented young woman and you can get all the info about her show on fringefest.com. Now, my next guest has been in the travel industry for 40 years. She's been through some really challenging and transformative life experiences. Mary McKenna runs Tour America and more recently the Travel Suite. And we spoke today about her family background, her life as an entrepreneur and about how she feels coming up to her 60th birthday. Uh, you don't get to 60 without experiencing some things and Mary McKenna has experienced a lot. She's experienced loss and she's been physically and mentally challenged over the years. But I think when you hear this, you'll agree she's one of those people that is just very inspiring and motivating in her approach to life and to love and to all those important things. She came into us on a very auspicious anniversary in her life and I began by asking her about why today is so special. Yeah, it is a very special day, Roisin, and uh, the sun is shining as it did in 2011 for myself and Stephanie. So um, our son is 15 and he was three at the time and we had our civil partnership in Stevenson's Green. And uh, I have to say it was, after Keane was born, of course, was very, very special, but it was the happiest day of my life. I, I actually never thought I'd get to that stage in life. Um, we're together 19 years and uh, we had just 20 friends and their partners for an incredible, special day. And uh, and today is the anniversary of it. So we're going out tomorrow to celebrate. Um, and in particular, I, you know, I know I was talking to you earlier, but it just brings back memories because I got married then in, uh, a, I should say, we got married then in 2016. A year after the referendum. Yeah, but that, I'll never forget the referendum ever, you know, so... Uh, was May 2015, in particular around Keane because he was going to school in Rap Mines and he'd come home and he'd say there's posters on the bollards or whatever saying every uh, child should have a mom and dad. And he was so confused because he could read at that stage. And I felt it was, uh, you know, my little bubble of a world where I had my family, my beautiful family was so protected. I felt like, God, there's an invasion coming in. And there's, um, it was the weirdest time Um but as I said to you earlier on, I am incredibly grateful. We are incredibly grateful because that vote meant so much to the likes of, of myself, Steph, and, and in particular Keane, um, because I think people did the right thing and they voted for love and, and a lot of people didn't have to vote. And I remember ringing relatives who were elderly and saying, have you got my back? And they were so uh, supportive or going into hairdressers and they're talking about their grandson or grandchild. And a lot of people didn't have to go and vote. And I'm today saying to everybody who did, and and even if you didn't, it doesn't matter. Um, thank you, because I have the most beautiful family and I'm very grateful. So I'm celebrating today. And uh, to me, life is all about love. 
That is gorgeous start to this conversation because we're going to go back and look at your life in business, obviously, with your incredible um, travel career. But you've had a lot of stuff going on. So let's start from the beginning. Your dad grew up in the Falls Road in Belfast. Your mother from Black Sod. Yes. County Mayo, very, very rural, very yeah. uh, simple and poor life, I suppose. Tell us about um, them and how they came yeah. together and how that factors into your career in the end. And they're so important. They had such an impact on on, on me. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll talk about my father. Yes, he was from the False Road, this most beautiful, soft, uh, really hardworking, gorgeous man I have pictures of him when he was in the Air Force. But um, he grew up on the false road and uh, he was the eldest boy and he had two younger brothers and two younger sisters. And they actually ended up having to move down south uh, uh, because actually he, he told me a lot about World War II. Uh, his mom used to put them under the table and the rations that went on with tea and sugar. But I was brought up <laughs> a staunch Republican <laughs> who played hockey. Uh, so I remember like, I, I you know, as a child, I was like armoured tanks and tanks and guns. Like, Unbelievable. Never met anybody who knew yeah. out the rat. No, no, I won't. But that's where, you know, they were, it was all rebel songs. He was a complete and utter Irish man. He, if we went to America, because he went into travel, he would wear green. We were mortified. Like, he was like, I think he went to America to even be more Irish. And of course, he, he, his, his father was in the pub business. And, and I do remember my grandfather. Actually, it was so funny. My grandfather was, uh, only 63 when he died and uh, he was a sheep farmer as well and had pubs and uh, and F- Frank McKenna was his name as well and uh, I was there the day he died uh, my younger sister was really upset in the car my dad came they were up the Sugarloaf around that direction back and forth to the car so I was only about five and I saw dad and a load of men carrying this man down and was my grandfather and just um, you know dad went to the States and his father was really upset about him leaving and and he went to the States and he cried every day for home. Like it was, uh, you know, that seemed to have been a very uh, prominent thing with the Irish who went there because they went for, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like now, they went to, to have a, you know. To have to, a better life, to, to have, have a, a better life. life. Yeah. yeah. So um, look, he, um, he met my mom over there and uh, he completely fell in love with her. She was just stunning. So tell me about her and how she ended up in America. Yeah, so look, she was from the most beautiful part of Ireland, uh, Black Sod Bay, and she was seventh in a family of 15. And my granny was a gorgeous, tiny little lady, and and I've just come across a load of letters she's written to my mom. I'll tell you about those now in a few (laughs) minutes. But she was a, a gorgeous, gorgeous woman, and she was a match marriage like, so she was 16. An arranged marriage, Arranged marriage. Yeah, yeah. And my grandfather was 36. So she was 16. Your grandfather was 30, 20 years older and she's yeah. 16. I'm, I'm he was very cross, man. I, I was terrified of him. And she really obeyed him. Like, she really did. Like, she was gorgeous. Loved her kids. Like, and, and incredibly to see over the years how they all adored her and, and this, the, the home. So I remember as a child... And still to this day, my favourite place I've ever been in the world, going down to this beautiful cottage. I don't know how they all fitted in there. No bathroom, no running water, no electricity, but you had the oil lamps, you had the big fire, you had everything cooked over the fireplace. I remember very vividly my grandmother making the bread, churning, you know, the milk, the chicks being born in there. Just, it was it was like my place of of just peace and yeah. gorgeous, uh, like the smells, the turf. 
the paint, the put sheen. My dad always came with a bottle of whiskey from my grandfather. And of course, he was like the king. Um, but dancing, music, and they would go out and, and be together so they could leave this hectic world where they were really trying to survive in Ireland in the 70s, I'm talking about. Mm. And they could go to this place where they had great fun and their children were very happy and we'd be jumping on the haystacks mm. and the land led to the sea and the road led to the mm. sea and their field across the road led to the sea and I learned how to milk cows mm. and half a mile away was the Atlantic Ocean. It was just the most beautiful place. And for your, your grandmother who'd got married at 16, it's your grandmother yeah. who got married at 16 and she had 15 children. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about her life and one of those children was your mother. Yes. So how did she end up in America? Well, so my mother went to America when she was 18. First of all, I remember her telling me she went into Bell Mullet when she was uh, 14. She, she, Mom wanted to be a school teacher and, and she had a horrific time in school. Like, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people who tell loads of stories, but awful teachers. Her father took her out of school. Um, they had to go to Scotland to pick potatoes and a couple of her sisters had to do that. And, and her sisters were all stunning looking uh, women and a few of them went to Scotland and England and uh, her she was the first to go to the States. Um, but she went to Bell Mullet first when she was 14 and fainted because she saw all buildings together. Like, I mean, that I mean that was in our generation. Yeah. Like, so the wow. So then she goes to Cove and her parents bring her down on a horse and cart down to Cove and she gets a boat across the Atlantic Ocean. On her own. And I've come across the letters, you know, I'll tell you about that. It's just unbelievable. And she goes to this land where she's very lucky. My grandmother's sister is over there and she always told me that she was taught how to make beds. And she would say to me that when she met my father, she had $6,000. So if she had 99 cents, she would ask someone for a cent to make it a dollar. She was a complete saver. And what she did is she sent home money to her family. So a, a letter never went to Black Sod Bay without money in it. And th that was what they did. And this, then she'd bring the sisters over. And uh, I was at my uncle's funeral uh, a couple of years ago. And, and this old lady came up to me and she says, Anya Gohan, she said, was just such an amazing woman. She brought a suitcase home, a big, you know, the big, boxes, I don't know what they're called. And she gave clothes to all the neighbours. So she was the queen of Blacksod Bay who wow. brought home. Um, and of course, her first language was Irish, you know. Amazing. And she went off to America. She met your dad and your dad was in the Air Force. So no, not at that time, okay. he wasn't. So uh, his brother was over there as well, Andy, and they were both working in TWA. And, uh, so they were in travel even then. Yes, yeah. and then he got... Uh, he got um, drafted into the American army and my uncle got out. I don't know how, <laughs> to a doctor or something. Uh, so he went to Germany for uh, two years and he never held a gun or anything. It was like the time of Elvis. Yeah. And he said he learned a couple of words. He told me this comes here. I'm moment for a and five bitter beer. <laughs> so two beers. And he had a great time in Germany and went back and then met mom and, uh, and completely fell in love. And they got married in New York. And, uh -huh. But as I said, he was a true Irish man. She would have stayed there. She was Love very much, she didn't want to come back to Ireland. Yeah. He was like, I'm bringing my children up in Ireland. Okay. He was completely Irish, 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 Irish. I've never come across an Irish man <laughs> like him in my life. And uh, yeah, he was. And a Nordy. And a Nordy. Yeah. Uh, but what a wonderful, what a wonderful father. Like, and I really say that because the impact he had on my life, I'll never forget him. And none of us, I'll never forget my mom either. It was very different. But he was the more maternal parent. 
that makes Interesting. sense. Interesting, nurturing. Uh, yeah, so he, she was strict, really cross. Um, well, I, in fairness, I think probably her upbringing, she yeah. probably had a lot of crossness and strictness around her in that house, it sounds like with the father. Yeah, and, and what meant the most to her was that you had uh, nice teeth. So we went to the dentist at three, educated. Like, it was quite incredible. So my first memory of going to school, this is the honest to God truth, I tell pals this, they can't believe it. My brother was a year older than me. He was four. And we lived in Capentili and Johnstown School was uh, a mile away. And he was four and I was sent with him, with my hand in his hand. And I walked to school and I remember playing with beads at the end of a class and a letter home saying you can't get rid of her in one go. So she tried to send the two of us to school at the same time. <laughs> she tried to send you to when you weren't the right time to go to school. Three. She just thought four. you'd get away with it. Yeah. Just to but she got a note back saying you can't do that till next year. <laughs> anyway, so she had three kids and it was like, I'd say, probably like if I'm being honest, I'd say, you know, they came back to Ireland, had a pub in Port Leash. She went down to Six Stone. I'd say she had postnatal depression. Okay. Now, when I think about it, yeah. you know, you think she was very skinny, uh, hated the pub business, really struggled. And uh, and they came to uh, back to Dublin then. And uh, I think that's where you could really see that. Uh, that, you know, she was gaining weight and back. So he was just... A so really she needed that city life. She needed to be, yeah. and probably after New York and America, and having a glimpse of that yeah, kind of world. Exactly. She couldn't cope with Port Leash and living yeah. above a pub or whatever. Because I really try and understand her. Uh, and I say that now also, because she's dead. You know, she yeah. died just before Christmas. But I think we do have to look back mm. at women of that time who had so much potential and brains and um, things yeah. that they weren't able to do because just yeah. because as a woman you weren't. And so that also impedes and, and impacts yeah. the way they are around other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have to have compassion, I think. Yeah, well, and I've really, really, in particular over the many years now, really tried to understand because I completely loved her and yet she wasn't your typical role. Um, so my my dad and my brother, my my uncle had a very successful business in, in the States, a travel business. And, and he said to my father, why don't you open it up, Atlas Travel here in Dublin? And that was the making of my dad. He loved it. And when we were kids... Um, and he loves sport. He, we, he'd bring us into the office to give my mother a break, I think. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and he, th the things I remember so much as a, as a young kid is, you know, you met Lily, the cleaning lady, right? Take the hoover from Lily and do the hoovering. Go and say hello to all the staff. Ask them if they want a coffee. Be very respectful for my team. And, uh, and I, uh, unlike probably all my other siblings who did very well in school, I did okay. You know, I, I got by, but I get my report, which I've just found recently. No one's <laughs> ever going to see them. And he'd say to me, you know, don't worry about that, Mary. You've got great common sense. That's okay. going to get you everywhere. And he saw he that. He was so positive mm. that actually he made me really believe myself. So, um, and, uh, you know, it's funny now because I'm hearing a lot. I really struggled with languages. And, and so I must actually, I must look into that. There must be something around that personally myself. Mm. But anyway, he just gave me great confidence and um, and I love sport. And so I was uh, in school in Clooney and Kalini and I loved hockey and uh, and I really wanted to be a sports person. Yeah. And that was my passion. Can I ask you about your sexuality then at that time? How how much were you aware of? Um, I wasn't aware of that at that time at all. It's interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, no, it, it really didn't come until later on because, you know, I fell in love when I was 18. I met this wonderful guy called Kurt, uh, unfortunately, who's passed away. Uh, we were the exact same age to the day and and he was my first love and I loved him. 
and uh, uh, and we, you know we went out with each other for a couple of years. But he was just probably one of those amazing people you meet in life. He was incredibly special. He was really sporty. His father was Fred Teed, the boxer who boxed in the Olympics. And he was gorgeous in every way and I loved his family. So, you know, he was my first love. I always say that was my first love and then I didn't, re I, and I had loads of relationships and, and they were all fantastic, fabulous. But I, I, my second love then uh, now is, is a very different uh, and that's that's where I went in life and I can't explain it. Uh, you know, so a lot of people I live, nothing changed in my life ever, <laughs> you know, and um, so, yeah. How did Kurt die? Uh, he had cancer, yeah. Oh, so sad. Very sad. A young, young man. Yeah, so that was, you know, so my, my father... Um, just so Kurt died two years after my father. Um, my father was 55 when he went into Blackrock Clinic. He had a leaking valve and my sister Geraldine had been in the States visiting my other sister Suzanne who was on a J1 visa in Cape Cod and they hired a car and uh, she looked the wrong way and a Jagannaut went straight into that car and Geraldine was very badly injured. Suzanne you know, had minor injuries, but she didn't, uh, she was just wandering streets because, you know, if the importance of having travel insurance in the States is really mm. important. So Jerry broke her neck, smashed her pelvis, smashed her hip, and uh, she was taken by helicopter to hospital in Boston. It was very upsetting for the family and we all went over there and she was there for six weeks. She clocked up a million pounds in insurance, like that was the max. She had to be flown back to Ireland and, uh, and she's fabulous now. She's just had a hip replacement there two years ago. She's got two kids. She's doing amazing, great attitude to life. But they passed each other. He was going into Blackrock Clinic and she was going into Blanchestown, which isn't there anymore. And uh, they had a really incredible bond. They were very, very close. And, and my father had an operation and unfortunately he didn't make it. And I remember going the next day. There were two things in my life I couldn't do. And this is one of them was to tell Geraldine he was dead. and I couldn't do it. And so my uncle had to do it. I said, I can't. I remember looking to her at the top glass and um, having to tell her. And it was awful. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And so we, my brother had gone to the Air Force. We, ha we had to find him to the Red Cross to get him home. He had to fly home from San Francisco. The poor guy, twice he's had to fly home. And um, mom was only 49 wow. and she didn't really cope very well. So right. I think we had to really mind her. Now, she did start playing golf. So what golf. age were you at this point? I was 24, 25. And had Kurt just died? So Kurt died two years later. Kurt was 27 when he died. So you had all of this, you had this massive yeah. car accident, your father yeah. dying. Now, I wasn't You're, going out with him, but I still... But still, I, he's a very good friend I, I mourned a love, you know. It was, you know, it was tragic, like... You know, if it wasn't me, uh, you know, that I wanted to see him have a life and he was such a beautiful man. Mm. Um, so that was, yeah, that was tough. So Death tell me tough. then about, you know, your father's legacy, obviously, in the travel, Atlas yeah. travel and all of that. And you had from a very young age been yeah. very much part of it and in with the staff and what probably watching him and how he treated people and how yeah. he organised things. Where did you go then in terms of your... Well, the first thing I noticed was his passion, right? So he had a passion for sports. So he was the first person to charter planes and bring them to Man United and Celtic and Liverpool. So I have to be clever, upfront. Clever. His team was Celtic, right? 
right? Again, the Irish. But well, we're not surprised. And Liverpool. What you told us. But uh, you know, I met Graham Soonis, Packy Bonner, oh. all those players. And actually, when he was in Black Rock Clinic, they had Packy Bonner ring. So he was he was working seven days a week. He was a complete workaholic. Right. And that was a huge lesson for me as well. To not be. Well, I was okay. up till 2004. Okay. And uh, but he definitely did what he loved, and I loved travel as well. So I went um, uh, when I left school. <laughs> you know, I always tell people I went to finishing school myself, and Jerry went to finishing school. We went to a secretarial course because that's what he said. You need to know how to type in Haddington Road, but you had to wear white gloves. I was I went to <laughs> I went to finishing school, and the best thing I ever learned how to type. And then Such I had my skill. first job was the Berkeley Court, the receptionist in the Berkeley Court, which I loved. But I was going with Kurt didn't like shift work anyway to cut a long story short I won't bore you I went to work with Northwest Airlines down in Shannon loved it loved it and then I came back to Dublin and I started working with a charter airline called Club Air and I started from day one and I was a duty manager um, uh, which meant that I was responsible with five other duty managers that was on duty the ground operations of an airline which was I was 23 I had Studied my pilot's license. We were all sent off to, so I had the theory, never flew a plane. Mind you, the other four duty managers are all pilots. I had no interest in being a pilot, but I'd read the weather or get on and clean the plane or, you know, ensure all the ground operations. And I went into my first day at work. I was offered TWA, which was up in Kalini Castle. We lived in Kalini. And uh, my father said to me, now, that is just up the road. And I said, but I like the sound of the airport one, which meant I had to drive all the way to the airport, get myself accommodation quite close, be in work at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. And my first day of work, I got in and I didn't get home till three days later. And that went on for three months. I made decisions. No 23 year old. There was no Internet. The plane went afire. It was like the faulty flying faulty towers now when I tell you. And there was a few Miss Ireland's working for us. And if they're listening, they'll know who they are. I get to say who they are. But it was, the concept was brilliant. But like everything was secondhand. The buses didn't work. The forklift went into the plane. The the uh, the um, the oxygen mass fell down. And it was, but I loved it. I loved it. And I remember writing, um, it hit the front page of the Times, I think as well, writing my report one night. It was the, the All-Ireland final. I always remember All-Ireland final because that was my dad's big party night. But the f- plane never went out in time. It was probably two days late. And if you went to the airport, you were looking at 400 people saying you're never going to go anywhere. And not only that, there was two planes. There was two 727s, 100 series and 200 series. And one of them did the Virgin Atlantic charter. So even if it was delayed, they had to get that on time to Luton at the time. And um, But this particular night, uh, I made a decision uh, because you couldn't get a hotel in Dublin. We had to put all these clients up. There was about 400 people there. I stood in front of them. That's why I'm never afraid. It's like, I'm really sorry. The plane's not going anywhere. And I never got abused or anything. I was straight up. I said, I'm really sorry. There was and nobody going on no, Twitter going, this no, is a disgrace. No, and nobody shouted at me. And, and everybody was, I think when you're upfront and honest. Um, and so anyway, uh, I said, let's find all the B&Bs that we can, right? And there was no taxis because they're all yeah. at the All-Ireland Final. I said, take the buses out. <laughs> take the buses out, which weren't insured outside the airport. So I said, drop them off. Take a note of where you're dropping them. And then we were trying to find out where the, we had dropped all these customers. And the bloody bus went on fire at the roundabout at the airport just before it got to the airport and the, the these beautiful air hostesses some of them Miss Ireland 
front page and then I'm writing the report going, oh my God. That is and you know, you I had to find charter, that in the archive. Yeah, Mary, you must incredible. take a look at it. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking, um, if I had to charter planes, I had to go through golden pages. Like there was no internet, there was nothing. Like it was incredible. But that was the best experience. That was the making of me. Never afraid to make a decision because the book stopped with me and it was like, you have to get on with it and hard work. Yeah. So they were really important. And then what happened was I then went to work in the travel uh, business of that airline. I was the only person actually out of 400 people who went back. And um, and my, my dad and my uncle said that their kids would never work in the business. And, and my father passed away in 1989. And my uncle had a company called American Holidays. And he asked me to come in and be the marketing manager, and which I was marketing manager, office manager. And it was lovely working there, but I really felt I have loads of ideas. I have great ideas. Nobody's listening. We always did it this way. I was literally blocked, not purposely, but that's how it felt. I really mm. felt I have ideas. Mm. I know how to grow this business. Yeah. And I was constantly pulled back, get back in your box. And he had been made an offer by JetSave in the UK to buy the business in 1994. And he took that offer. But the, the part of the offer was the management team, which I was part of the management team. And I said, look, I really want to go. So he asked me to stay for six months, which I did. And I said to him, I'm going to start my own business. Of course, no money, nothing to start a business. Um, so um, that's been a very interesting journey. I had to learn. I started from home. I had no money. Someone you literally started from your, your I kitchen from or your sitting room. room. I yeah. had a lot of contacts. Like I was well experienced. I knew relationships were important. I had contacts with airlines. Um, I was very clever in terms of market intelligence. I knew you had to go out with the right price. So what I did is it was incredible. Uh, because of this UK coming in, meant a lot of suppliers were going to be dropped. So, for example, I can't remember which is which, but if they dealt with Alamo rent a car, they now had to move to dollar. So I was going to Alamo, or what, it was actually dollar I went to, saying, you've just been dropped, all right? I need you to work with me. I'm okay. setting up Tour America. But what I need you to do is you've got to give me really good rates for two years, this is going to be, you're not going to gain, I'm not going to, yeah. but we've got to go in with the right price to the market. And they did that. So I was able to tap into all these people who were pissed off because they were dumped. And so very clever. I took really good people with me. Of course, I had no money to pay them. So they got 50 pounds uh, a week. And we were in Eden Key, secondhand furniture. You ate your lunch on the the photocopying machine and I worked <laughs> seven days a week. I was in right. there at seven o'clock in the morning. I did nothing but work, nothing okay. but work. So I, I don't think I could do something like that again. It was so hard. I get a call, I'd be out, you know, I'd go home and then I'd say, I'll go out for a drink in town. I lived in the Liberties at the time, which I could walk to work and back. So I picked that all down to work and I get a call, the office is broken into and I have to go into the office because we had no alarm because we couldn't afford an alarm. And I get a stick and I'd be sitting there all night, get out. <laughs> like, honest to God, that is, that is the story. And the thing is, from those humble beginnings, like your first year, you had a turnover of three million. That's right. Quid. And we made sixty nine thousand pound profit. It's incredible. So Tour America was your was your business. And yeah. So people in Ireland wanted to go off on their holidays. I dealt with travel agents yeah, in the so first year, with the and I first, knew the yeah. travel agents. So and I knew, like people say to me, "Oh, when you start a business, you don't make profit for three years." Well, if you run it the right way, if you don't spend more than you, if if you can control your overheads and do it. Um, you can. So I had a market. 
I had a reputation. I was well known. I had worked the market. I had the suppliers. I had the right price. And and I was very good at marketing. I was really good at getting out there. I drove around the whole country to see people. Um, and I formed relationships and people trusted me. And, and they still do to this day. I always believe and I can be killed for it. You always do the right thing. You always do the right thing. No matter if it costs you money, you do the right Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fighting. So, can we go on to because we just had the anniversary of 9 11? That must yeah. have been a massive. Uh, Yes. You know, for everybody. But yeah. how did it affect you and how did you weather that? Oh, my God. I, I my, my younger sister, Suzanne, was the GM at the time. And we were flying. Now, absolutely doing really well. Based in uh, Abbey Street. So we had moved from that poxy little office in <laughs> Eden Key to this office. Like, and we had 50 staff. And I would have a coffee with her. And were you still doing the 7 o'clock in the morning? Had you calmed down at that point? I know. I'm still going full. I'll yeah, tell you yeah. when I calmed okay. down. Uh, and I'm still going. Here, I'm exhausted uh, um, listening to it. <laughs> So I work with my other sister now, but I remember my younger sister saying, I can't keep up with your energy. I can't keep up with you. And uh, she was wonderful. She's a great entrepreneur as well. But um, we went for a coffee to have a chat about work. And uh, we're sitting there and there's a little TV in Ireland because I did my shopping in Ireland, had my breakfast in Ireland, had my lunch, uh, furniture, everything was Ireland. And uh, um, we saw the first plane going in and and remember, we have lots of relatives who live in the States, right? So there was a real shock. And then the second one going in and we were talking then about my aunts, people, they, they were all in Boston, but still there was a shock around her people. And I remember her turning around to me and said, that's the end of your business. Oh, I was like, it just, I remember it just going, mm. and, and it was for three months, we had nothing, nothing. And I had 50 staff and I, I knew... I had I couldn't continue a payroll for fifty staff, so I I realised that I could I could do thirty nine, and so eleven people had to go. So it was last eleven in. And I, oh my god! I, I to this day it's the only thing I ever cried. I had to meet individually, saying there's nothing wrong. I'm so sorry. I have to let you go. So sorry. I have to let you. You've done nothing wrong. And it was and I was bawling my eyes out. I was like, oh my God, nobody told me this is what business was like. And it was horrendous. Because up to then you hadn't had to do that. Everything never, had been, yeah. Never. Yeah. Unless someone was completely underperforming. Yeah. Like uh, there was no, you know, messing around. You came mm. in and wanted right attitude, hard working. And then um I saw some cruise office coming in. Actually I went through a real funny stage. I went home, felt really sorry for myself and said, get over that. That's not about you. You've just eleven people. And a real kick in the arse now and said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So I went through this, okay, get up and fight, get up and fight. And um 
I had cut the course back now. It was time to get back up and relook. And I saw cruise offers coming in. And I said, that's it. We'll set up cruise holidays. I had been on a cruise many, many years ago. Big red boat. I thought, they're great holidays. <laughs> I took all the people I let go back, said, you're all going into a cruise department. And that business turned over six million I don't know if it was pounds or euros in the time. I can't remember. And uh, and we're the biggest seller of cruises in Ireland, in Northern Ireland to this day. So Cruise Holidays is a trademark name and I'm really proud of it. And it's a brilliant holiday. And it was called Cruise Holidays. It sounds like it's something that would have been around I. a million times. Nobody. It was Isn't like I went funny? in, registered a trademark. And you were kind of going, I can't believe no one else has Cruise no, Holidays. No, because you see, you sometimes you're the first and then yeah. everybody else follows, I yeah. can tell you. Yeah. Um, but th- So that was... So then that was back up and running, feeling really, really positive. And um, uh, I had then the... Well, it's time to tell me about 2004 then and how everything yeah. changed. Because, I mean, I think your life is as everyone's lives, but you particularly. You've had these moments, haven't you? These key, yeah. pivotal, life-changing things where it's caused you to go off in a different direction. Yeah. What happened in 2004? So it was a Saturday, the 24th of January. Holiday World was on and... Uh, I was in the office collecting flyers that I was going to bring out to the stand we had in Holiday World. And of course, like I always do, my office was right at the back of Knott's Lane. I was sitting there, got stuck into work. And I happened to look out the window and I saw this little old lady trying to park. uh, And my car was behind her and there was a car in front of her. I said, she'll never get in there. That's what I'll do is I'll get out and pull back my car so she can get in. She was lovely. And uh, so I did that and I pulled back my car and I turned around and bang, I was hit by this Jeep. I never saw it. I, I saw it for a second. So and you were out there helping this. Yeah, but when I turned to go back in uh, and, and what happened was, because I have, I have to say, I have no anger, no whatever. The, the, the man who was driving the Jeep, I didn't meet him, never met him. He was obviously quite big because I'll tell you now why in a second, but he was having an argument with his daughter. He didn't go out to run me down that day, but it happened and uh, it was an accident. And I'm very clear to say it was an accident, but it was a life changing accident. So I got I saw the car coming, thought I'm dead. I went up in the air, went down and how it didn't run over my head. I don't know, but it didn't. It ran over my back, my lower back, and it stayed on my left hip. And so he had to get out and drive off me. Then I broke all my ribs and punctured both my lungs and fractured my pelvis and fractured my hip. Um, but what went through my mind was quite amazing at the time. First, I thought it was dead. Oh, God, I'm gone. And then second, I'm alive. You know, I want to survive. Um, I'm going to not walk again. I didn't really care. I just went into survival mode. And it was interesting uh, because it had to drive off. So I crushed everything on my left side. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I've done so much work on this because this is a fascinating story around um, your mind. Um, and anyway, the Jeep drove off me and all my staff were in the office and one of the girls... Sort of Fiona, watching this, essentially. Yeah, comes out and does Reiki on me, which I'm very grateful. Fiona's her name. She's down in Galway. And um, and I'm looking up at all these faces and, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to scare them. And I was very conscious of, of them. And I was on this... this awful path that rats run up and down you know the lanes back it was awful and I was just the fire the ambulance came by in the fire brigade and I said can you knock me out just hit me over the head with the hammer I I couldn't breathe I was in terrible pain but it was interesting because I was given a 50-50 chance of survival and my poor family were in praying for me and everything and 
I remember a surgeon coming into me. I had a couple of very bad nights. I had a nurse at the, my feet. I was, you know, I had, I won't go into the detail, um, but I had a really few bad nights and I was in there for a while. And he said, most people would die of your injuries. You know, he said, you just, the fact you stayed so calm, they were very concerned because I tore my liver and internal damage, has saved your life. You didn't put any pressure on your heart, which was fascinating. And I always share that story because it's very important to be calm. And that was down to playing sport. That was down to playing hockey. I had been whacked with hockey balls and hockey sticks. Um, so I do attribute that to sport. And I really do look at sport really merging very much with business as well. What I learned from sport, uh, I had lots of friends who were on the Irish hockey team, disappointment, teamwork, being together. So that really did help. But my life changed. I met Steph at the end of that year. Um, How did you meet her? Uh, we met on a skiing trip. And uh, I always say the most courageous thing I ever did, because nobody really knows the story and they all think about it. We went on a trip, a gang of us together. And this is after you would manage to yeah, somehow so, yeah, your well, injuries. Well, were... And um, I always think the most courageous thing I ever did, I, 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 I think I knew straight away when I met her, this is the person for me. Of course, I didn't say that to her. You know, she was a... <laughs> with her ex-boyfriend <laughs> and uh, uh, and we just got on really well and it was very um, innocent and just really nice friendship but it was just that is what I felt and I came home and a couple of days when I came home I rang her and this is the most courageous thing because I knew it was going to be you know take a hike and I said look um, I said uh, I just want to tell you um, I really miss you and, and she said oh have you rang everybody on the trip <laughs> It's quite funny. It's funny. Of course, and I said no, and then she hung up. So <laughs> you said you said no, and she hung up. Yeah, because she basically knew you were yeah. coming on to her. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but that oh, was. Mary, I'm absolutely dying for you. What, I know, but, but yes, and you're right. But to this day, that was the most courageous call or thing I've ever done. I mean, we're married. I know. And what happened then? Well, they called me back a couple of days later and I said I was in a meeting. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, there was definitely a spark with us. So she she went away, obviously, and thought, was probably shocked and then had yeah. a little think herself, yeah. but it obviously felt reciprocated somehow. I mean, she hates that story. Does and she? Yeah, because she goes, that's not, but that is the story. And, uh, and, and she's an amazing girl. She's just wonderful. Like, uh, she spent two years working for gold in Afghanistan everybody's blown away with Steph. She's the kindest person I've ever met, the most amazing mother, the most amazing partner. And so I just feel very lucky and blessed. And uh, anybody who meets her, I say, you don't want to be my friend, I don't ring you. I am terrible. But, you know, Steph will be your loyal, good friend for the rest of your life. Like, she's amazing. And how long did it take for, for her to come around to this idea and for you both to and kind of do you say, know what? It was, it was very innocent and it was just, it was, it was a love story. Like, it really was a love story and it's a beautiful story. And, um, you know, as I said, we now have a, a, a lovely son and, and he's brought this even more love into our family so it's just it's it's very simple and we really ha it's it's a it's about love and uh, we go out for dinner the two of us and we have great friends and we just said we'll have good kind people in our life and we do and uh, we're 
you know, we're a great couple. I think we're a great couple. And I don't know if you ever read uh, Glennon Doyle or if you've ever read any of her books. Um, no. But she is a woman who was in a, a heterosexual marriage for a yeah. long time. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of that. She was at a thing and she she, she met this this yeah. woman and yeah. it was like that she sort of knew. Yes. And it was not, like nothing else mattered. Yeah. It wasn't about, it was just yeah. she knew that this was a person that she was going to be with yeah. and, and it happened yeah. like that. You know, it's it's fascinating though, isn't it? Yeah, well, do you know, I'm being 100% honest. I can talk to you about my career and everything. The most important thing to me and the what rocks me every day is my family and love. That's it. You know, I just, work is a hobby. I do different things, but that to me is, don't ever take that away. You can take anything away. I live in a little box with my family and that's what that's what gets me up every day without a doubt you know but I was working just getting back to yeah sorry I just but I'm so glad you told me that story because I think it's beautiful love story like Um, I was working seven days a week and I I I thought a lot of my dad when my accident happened and I realized you know he he wasn't particularly fit he was you know he wasn't healthy he was he went in at 55, he died at 56. His birthday was in September. So he literally just turned 56. And he was so young. And, you know, and it was all about providing for his family. And But what cost? You right. know, he missed everybody getting married. He missed all his grandchildren. And he would have been an amazing granddad. And I didn't want history to repeat itself. And I, I did make a decision that I wasn't going to be that type of person and to get a balance in my life. And and, and then, you know, Steph came along and I really am at that stage. I, and I work hard, but I really have now put a balance. I don't work weekends anymore. Okay. Now I say that, I still went into Milltown <laughs> and cleaned the office there on Saturday. I'm, I'm a worker, but I get, I've got my priorities right now. And in particular around my accident, you know, I'm going to be 60 next month, which is, I'm really upset with my tennis club because they put me on the over 60s team and I'm not even there yet. It's Brookfield <laughs> Tennis Club. I'm raging with it. But um, I have so many injuries from my accident and I would be up to a couple of years ago I would have carried diphene around because my back would go disc would go and I'd be lying on the floor ring my sister I'm down the boardroom I can't get up and I'd be in agony like there's nothing worse than back pain and I my doctor was in the sports clinic and they were saying look your back is completely gone really and they wanted to operate and my doctor was saying look it's quite life-threatening you've discs moving here you have bulging discs you've anyway not to go into the detail but he had sent me to a physio this is such an interesting story in Wexford and of course if I'm given a challenge I'm going to do it I'll do what I'm told yeah because I'm never told to do anything so if somebody tells me to do something (laughs) I'll do it so he gave me a, a regime and remember I'm quite fit I've always done sports sports my thing I did the marathon after my civil partnership yeah. against my physio stuff, but I'd raised 5,000 for Bernardo's. And I so I did my first marathon, <laughs> having never done anything uh, in New York and raised 5,000 for Bernardo's. And I was going to give up on mile 17 because I was so sick. And I thought I was ringing Steph and I rang home. I got Keen, who was three. And he said, did you win? I said, no, I came second. So I kept going. <laughs> Hardest marathon in the whole world. I've done cycling uh, things. So I've done a lot of stuff for charity. Um, but... Sport was just such an incredible part of my life. So when I went to this physio and he gave me these exercises to do weights and whatever, and I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And I went back to him and he was measuring my glutes because he said, you need to strengthen your body. 
And he says, you're the best in my class. You're the best. And I said, God, no one's ever said that to me in my life. So I said to Michael Keller, my surgeon, I said, look, uh, I said, I've been told by the physio that, you know, I'm the best class. He says, well, OK, your mind is a very, you know, great place to be. I said, I'm going to double what I do. So I can do 20 full press-ups. And I do a, a regime of weights every second day for an hour and 15 minutes where I lift 20 kilos and I've strengthened my body. For four years, I've had no issue with my back. I now can sleep. I couldn't sleep. Mary. I couldn't move. Like So I have, I have built my body and I am stronger and fitter now going into my 60th birthday, which I hate, uh, than I was in my 20s. Wow, you're incredible. That's the truth. And you look amazing and Thank you're you. an you athlete for 60. <laughs> Jesus. Tell us about another pivot because you've now got the travel suite. Yes. So, yeah. so you've kind of gone very, very luxury, high end. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking, what I'm most proud of is how we dealt with COVID. All right. And uh, so Tour America is a great business, great people in it and, um, and a very successful. But what we pride ourselves on is rewarding for, for customer service. Um, so and how this plays out really is, in you know, when COVID happened, I remember March time, you know, I had offices, two offices in Dublin, one in Cork and one in the States. And I have approximately 50 people. There's a couple of people working around the world as well. So maybe 53 people. I get on very well with my team. And uh, so I decided I would talk to them all saying, look, this has just happened because I did videos a couple of weeks ago because some of the staff were in Florida hadn't gone there saying, I don't know if this is going to happen. And it did. And I had to go on and say, look, it's bad. I don't think you should travel. So I spoke to all the team, did a Zoom call and said, look, I don't know how long this is going to last, um, but we're going to close all the offices. Your safety is first. Customers are going to do the right thing for the customer. We're going to do the right thing for the customer. We're going to be there for the customer. So now you've got to remember, we've closed our offices. There's no money coming in and we have to take care of our customers. So you, we think you're going out in three months' time. Of course, that's not going to happen. No. So you have to change their holidays again. So we have to keep working. So we keep working for two years mm. with during no COVID, income, no yeah, income yeah, coming yeah. in. And so I, I said two things to them. I said, one, you're okay. I'll take care of you. We're in good financial shape. And second of all, we'll do the right thing for the customer. We'll put the customer first. So we're the first company to give full refunds was was our company. And we did put the customer first. And I was working with a business coach. And I remember saying to him, we're doing all the right things. I really, you know, I really want people to go away, have a great holiday and, and talk very highly about the staff and their experience. And I said, after COVID, he said to me, uh, PJ Tim Timmons is his name. And he said to me, ah, he's so such a bright man and he knows all statistics. He said 17% of those people remember. I said, oh my God, that's so little. <laughs> and and I said to him recently, I think you were wrong. You know, okay. I said, because a lot of people knew you did the right thing as and an Irish business. And they came back and when they were going to do something, they booked Well, if you were with booking you. with yeah. airlines, you couldn't get through. Yeah, if you were booking yeah. with love holidays, you so couldn't. Anything in the UK. was only positive, which is was something positive that and and, people, and they yeah. remembered it. Yeah. So COVID changed uh a lot of things. And so we did the right thing. So we had a great business. Uh, customers were really loving the attention we get. We genuinely gave them really good intention. So as a business owner, I don't particularly say to my staff, just get the money in and that's it, which a lot of companies do. It's about, let's go on the journey. Let's really do. Let's, you know, if, if you take care of the customer and you have a Raven fan club, it's amazing what happens at the very end. Um, but COVID 
went, as a business, we went through so many things. So financially, you had to be in good shape to take care of. Now, the government did do very well after about six months in helping. So thank you to them. Um, but people changed. I changed. Um, you know, I went off and I did uh, I never went to college and I did a level nine master's such uh, in IMI and I did ex executive coaching, which was brilliant. I had to coach people. It was really good for me personally. So I got a gown and cap, you know, <laughs> and I have a picture of it. And I'm so proud of it. And I really was. And I really it was quite incredible doing that course because I was scoring very high on anything to do with coaching. And then when I was putting the papers in, my professor would ring me and say, you haven't written it as, you know, normally, but I love what you're saying. So what I'm saying is you're not going to get the top mark here. I got a 2-1, by the way, which I was very proud of. He said, <laughs> but I want you to keep your personality and what you're saying because it's right and you're not following. So they really tried to help me yeah. with the formula, but they saw I struggled with that. Mm. But they were saying what you're writing is, is good. Right. Um, so that was really good to understand. So uh, I was really chuffed with myself. I changed my whole diet. I looked at myself and said, um, you know, you need to stay fit now. You need to make sure you, you're in good shape for your peak. I was Keane's rugby coach. I was Keane's soccer coach. I was very involved. We were main sponsors of the soccer club. I was involved in the soccer club, really helping out. And, and I said, I want to be physically fit. So I changed my whole diet. I did a 100-day plan, took salt, milk out of my diet exercise, did the weights, got, and I really got myself in good shape. So I was really chuffed with that. So I used the time well. Yeah. And then I talked to the team I worked with and they said they didn't want to come back to work. They didn't want to come back to the office. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, one did, the rest didn't. And I said, okay. And the other thing, the other issue we had is they said the, um, what was important to them was work-life balance. And I was like, I get that. And as a business person, I was thinking, Okay, so I sat down and they said they don't want to work weekends. And I said, oh, God, that's a real issue. That's a real problem because we're very busy on Saturday. So I was doing the coaching course at the time and I brought this dilemma, which to me was a dilemma, mm. to the professors and to my uh, cohort who were brilliant because they're all outside. And I said, look, Saturday's a really busy day. And one of my professors said to me, um, he said, you've got to listen to people as well. You know, the world has changed. And I said, you're right. And he said, what if you said to your customers, I'll give you outstanding customer service Monday to Friday and you have the best staff and they're very happy. And I said, Ooh. and I said, OK, I think you're right. It's not commercially the best thing. And I did that. And that was the best thing I did. You know, it's not following everybody else, but I have really good people who are delivering um, and they're very happy. I was out for lunch with them last week and I said, I've never seen you so happy. And they're saying, we are happy. We're, we've got a life work balance. Thank you. We will give you 100%. It's working brilliant. So what happened was then during that, I was thinking we, you know, our net performing score, a lot of people won't know this, but it's when a customer comes home. So FIFA is what you give when you hand over your money. Okay. That's a scam because you're giving your money you expect. It's when you come back. So we we rank, rate everything when you come back from your holidays. How do, Out of 10. If it's less than eight, we call you and we make fundamental changes to our business. So we do take on boards because I see everything that's coming in. And our net performing score is 89, which is unheard of. So people go... I actually like the personal contact. I liked the fact that you're not pushing sell. You're actually with mm. me. So there's something there about this niche customer service. And 
So we have Tour American cruise holidays. And so Tour America has Mexico, Caribbean, Canada. And we do that so well. And, you know, and I was thinking we lose them when they go to the rest of the world. So the travel suite, I've always, you know, looked at the high end. And, and so that's how the travel suite came about. And I have a wonderful managing director, Lorraine Quinn, who was the manager of Celebrity Cruise. It's just the most amazing person to work with, a great work ethic. So that's only started. So it's still in the stages of building a business and um, and getting the right team. And and that's where we're struggling is getting the right team because we have a culture into America. Um, so I'm at a stage where do I have to develop my own team, mm. which I might have to do. But we have great people working there and we're based in Milltown. We have no other office. I'm going down to Cork to get rid of our office. And so if a customer of Tour America wants to come in, they can come into the travel suite and they get the VIP service. So, look, I have no great expectation for, you know, I don't need it to be 100 million. I just want to have a really good business that I enjoy, um, that the staff are happy with, that we are there in 20 years time. God. I better not think about that one. <laughs> uh, so I just enjoy what I do and I really love, for me, um, I really like to work with very positive people and I really like to give outstanding customer service. And I'll tell you where this is so important, Roshi. I see any emergencies that come in. We have a 24-hour service. Nobody else has that. So if you're going to the States, for example, like last yesterday I saw... Um, United Airlines cancelled domestic flights. It just it happens all the time. We have our 24-hour service. She's brilliant. She's on the phone, WhatsApp to the customer straight away, gives them reassurance and protecting them and booking them. So a lot of people often ask me, why would you book with a travel agent, a tour operator? We're licensed and bonded, which means your money's protected. If the hotel goes, the airline goes, you're financially always protected. Second of all, the 24-hour service that we give. And third for us in particular is completely around customer service, what we offer the customer. Because mm. I genuinely care. Mm. I don't fit into the box of businesses. <laughs> like I'm on the Entrepreneur of the Year program and it's wonderful. I'm with all these entrepreneurs and I realised, you know, when I'm with them, they're very like-minded. We're a bit, you know, mm. we're funny individuals, but I am... Um, not motivated to be a multi multi millionaire. I have a great life. It's about happiness, doing the right thing, having a business that I'm proud of. It's a Deloitte best managed company. There's no other travel agent. We're doing the right things around the culture, around me as a leader. I keep, um, you know, I'm very honest, you know, mm. and I'm vulnerable just like anybody else. And, and I have and no problem saying that. And you've struggled and you've had challenges. I know your mum um, yeah, died. That was and a, yeah, that was a big challenge for me. She died just before Christmas. So um, my mother, uh, as I said to you, she was at our civil partnership and probably had the signs of dementia. And uh, and I have to say to anybody out there who's dealing with Alzheimer's dementia, my heart goes out to you genuinely. Um because we had no idea of this disease, didn't even know it existed. Well, I did know it existed, but not in, in my world. I didn't see it. And um, she was diagnosed in 2012 with advanced dementia. Very bad. Uh, I remember going to her house. I used to have to bath her on a Sunday. It's where I was murdering her. And then she'd come out and she was like, 
on a high, just loved her hair done. She was a beautiful looking woman, a great golfer. And actually, funny enough, when she had dementia, she could still hit a golf ball. But anyway, um, I go to her house and uh, and we all, I have two younger sisters, we all mucked in and had two sets of carers come. Um, and they were fantastic with mom. And I'd go there and she'd say, my bag's gone, my key's gone. Like, when I mean, you go around looking, she'd have hidden them again. Like, it's a horrendous, must have been so upsetting for her um, and scary for her. But anyway, in 2015, in August 2015, I had a couple of things going on the same year. It was quite a tough year personally for me. But in particular around her... Um, the HSC had come in, she had got out of the house again and she had chased carers down the road and a couple of different things had happened. She had a beautiful house, loved her house. And uh, they said, look, she has to go into um, a nursing home. And I was like, I, I just hate the thought of that. I had looked at them and I remember there was one lovely one beside us and I said, well, mom's not going in there. There's a man bringing this woman to the bathroom and like, that's how naive I was. So anyway, she... She was to go into a nursing home. We met. We said, look, this is for her own safety. She's going to be killed. Like, there's no way of... We couldn't cover every hour of the day. Like, you, we'd get a call. A carer would ring in. They're sick. You get a call. God, I'm in town. Jerry's somewhere else. We couldn't get to her fast enough. It was like leaving a child mm. on their own. Like, I remember I had an EY trip and I was to go out to the house. And by the time I got there, I was at the airport at six o'clock in the morning. The carer had rang in. I got to the house and the the oven was on fire by the time I got there. Like, And I was turning off the electricity in the, her garage and I said, can you hand me that screwdriver? And she handed me a brush, she handed me everything. Like it was just, it was really difficult. And, and she was so loving. Like so, she got so excited when she saw you. So she went into a nursing home on the 15th of August and two of us were to bring her into the nursing home. It was myself and my younger sister. And I got to the door in the nursing home and I got my hands and knees and I cried and I said, I can't do it. I couldn't. And she was in, it's quite emotional, she was in the nursing home for seven and a half years, never got over it. Mm. Every day I went in to see her, like, and all the people in there, I got some of them earphones and watched Netflix and I'd go around and say to the staff, you know, I found out who they all were. I'd hold their hand. Um, there was a lady in there from Galway, um, Mary was her name and she was crying one day and she said she missed her sister in the States. We got the fake phone. I rang her sister and it was only a moment, but she was happy for a moment. And, you know, it's so tough on families and it's it's not the end of life I wanted for my mom. No. And, uh, you know, she she got COVID. Uh, nine of them got COVID. There's only 50 of them in the home. So it was very easy to get to know a lot of them. Um, and eight of them died and she did showed no signs of it. And uh, and the staff were amazing, very hard work. Like, you know, we're very lucky we work in jobs. Mm. This is an underpaid job and they work so hard and they're kicked and they're hit and they're, you know, and it's not their mother and it's not their father, you know. So I had to really understand all that. And actually, mom passed away just before Christmas and the three of us were there holding her hand. And I said three things over and over again, you know, not to be afraid. You know, you're so loved and your mom was waiting for there because she forgot completely about my father. Like, so even in, like, it was so strange. Even in her, you know, in the last, when she could talk, she couldn't talk for the last couple of years. She'd say, is my mommy alive? And 
I made a big mistake saying she was dead and the whole grieving. So just to go along. But it's to understand the journey someone goes on and the life that's behind those doors and mm. the life for those families. So I can only tell you how we felt yeah. as a family. And I think a lot, I, people, <laughs> a lot of people listening will totally understand it, it will resonate. Now, we have to let you go, but it's been fascinating talking to you. You're going to be 60 Tell us about the next phase and what's your uh, ambitions and feelings about it. I know you seem to be dreading it, but I don't think no, you should. No, I'm not dreading it. I'm very <laughs> grateful. I'm in great shape. I have great life, great family. And I I think, you know, we're here. I, I saw life nearly pass me by and I'm very lucky I'm here. I'm enjoying every day of my life and ups and downs. Try not to have stress. Nothing's worth it. Um, and that's where I'm at. I'm your girl, glass half full. And I just want to remember that and always be that. Really? Mary McKenna, thank you so much for being You're very us. welcome. <laughs> that was Mary McKenna there. What a woman. And thanks also to Shiva Hennessy, who sang for us earlier. Her show is The Coil's Lament and it's on in Bewley's Cafe Theatre. If you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to us as it really makes a difference. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan and me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.